Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 240 of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited that we've been together for almost I think five years I there's a part of me that screams inside whenever I announce the the episode number hope you guys are doing well and enjoying your summer this month as many of you know we focus on helping you cultivate tools and strategy that you would need to date better and have better sexual connections because as Many of you know that now in most parts of the world, we have this opportunity to go out and after a year do in-person dating. And I know many of my clients are anxious about meeting people in person. They feel that they're out of practice. So that's why we dedicated the entire month to talking about various aspects of dating. This is the last episode on this series. If you haven't downloaded your free worksheet on how to cope with dating anxiety, this is your opportunity. The link is in the show notes. In this resource, you will learn hands-on strategy on how to manage your dating anxiety and show up as your best authentic self. Because I love that you guys are listening, but I want you to practice things in in between episodes so you can up-level your game. So today we're going to focus on how to dismantling some of the dating rules that we have and rules that we have for ourselves that gets in the way of us designing a more purposeful relationship, dates, and friendships. Our guest is Maha Mulfino. Maha guides women toward more powerful and meaning through her unique blend of storytelling, design, psychology, and mindfulness. Her work can be seen through her podcast and also her book. The title of her book is Break the Good Girl Myth. And she has a leadership program that you can find the information in the show note. She also has a master's in learning design and technology from Stanford University and bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in cultural studies from McGill University. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Maho Molfino. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited to have Maho Molfino in our show. Maho, welcome to our show. Thanks, Nazanin. Happy to be here. I am very excited about this conversation. I was just sharing with you that I, I read your book. Thank you for sending it to me. And I, I found it very interesting and intriguing how you applied your background and design to helping women with navigating life, which is very, very a new perspective. So tell us, how did you decide on writing this book? Sure. So, you know, in my work with women, with clients, but also in observing friends and family, I started to notice the same patterns come up, which I outline in the book, The Five Good Girl Myths. And it was sort of, you know, frustrating experience for me because I think a lot of women have incredible ideas and brilliance to share with the world. But I think that because of these five good girl myths, they're really holding themselves back. And so I started to think, hmm, is there something here around the good girl archetype? I grew up as a good girl, a daughter of immigrants 
got straight A's my whole life, always tried to achieve, achieve, achieve. So I was like, is there something here, a thesis, an argument? Could I turn this into a book? And then it went from there. Well, as I was reading about different archetypes, a few of them really resonated with me. And you were, as you as you mentioned, I was always like, I know this might not resonate with you, but I was always a teacher's pet. <laughs> Yeah, definitely resonates with me. <laughs> and that was interesting on how how you tie that to one of the myths. So for our listeners that are curious to learn more about these myths, can you tell us a little bit about that? And how do those myths get in the way of people having the relationships they, they want? Totally. So there are five good girl myths. And I'll just go ahead and list them. And then we can talk about each one. So the first one is the good girl myth of rules. Then there's the good girl myth of perfection, followed by logic, harmony, and finally sacrifice. So these are the five good girl myths, rules, perfection, logic, harmony, sacrifice. And in the book, I break down each of each one in depth with examples, case studies, and also tools in how to overcome that specific good girl myth. So those are the five. And... To answer your question about relationships, I think that, first of all, these five good girl myths are very sneaky. They're very subconscious. We often don't realize that we're under the spell of the myth of harmony, for example, or the myth of sacrifice. So there's something that we have to bring awareness to and catch ourselves in, and it affects every area of life. So it'll affect your career. It'll affect your self-care and well-being. And of course, it will affect your relationships. So we can get into how, you know, maybe how specific ones affect our relationship relationships in different ways. Absolutely. And I think one of the, I think all of them are, can be the reason that one person or like the both partners would struggle in the kind of in the bedroom and outside the bedroom. And I know in the book, you talk about how these are byproduct of the culture and society. This is not something that there's something wrong with you being defective. You, you were grew up in a society that had these roles and that impacted how you relate to others. So tell us, what are some of the the ones that, like when it comes to sex and sexuality, you think that can be the more challenging ones? Well, I think right off the bat, the myth of rules, because I think that we have ideas about how we should act in the bedroom that come from the way that we grew up, right? And the messages that we received growing up in different systems. Maybe you were part of a school with a particular type of sex ed, or maybe you had friends in school that thought of sexuality in a certain way, or maybe you're part of a religion that has ideas about sex and purity and how and virtue. And maybe you are part of a, or even just being part of this Western culture where we consume media, music, film, you're going to get messages about sexuality. So I think naturally growing up, you have received a ton of invisible rules, quote unquote, about what to do and what not to do in the bedroom. And so I think it's important to look at those shoulds, you know, and, and think about, okay, for example, maybe you got some, some messaging or a rule that you can't express uh, what you want because it's rude. Let's just say, um, and for example, and maybe you received this message from a parent and because that parent was a part of a religion, let's say. And so it got passed down to you. And then later, years later, decades down the road, you're with your partner and you're in the bedroom and that moment comes up and you think, I can't, I shouldn't speak up or I shouldn't say what I want. And that really actually also ties into the myth of harmony, which has a little bit more to do 
do with boundaries, which we can talk about as well. You know, I, I love that you brought up the rules because I feel like it, even if someone is a good fo- uh, rule follower, do we have so many contradicting messaging around sex yes. and sexuality? We get this kind of like more abstinence-based sex education for most school systems or many schools that focus on STIs and that's like that, that's what they call STDs and that's a kind of like extent of the sex education and also in the media and advertisement we see this portrayal of sexuality and over sexualization of women of a kind of young women and that can be confusing about which rule I'm following and how can I marry this part these parts of me that would feed those kind of images so I think that's so important and again we have this duality of love and lust and how mm-hmm, would that mm-hmm. show up for people that like, like you in like for many people that, you know, you have to be in a committed relationship to be sexual, but then it's right. hard to objectify and kind of like have this loss will be of your partner that can be that all of these things are important to explore. So tell us about this myth of harmony and boundaries. Uh, oh, the- yeah, definitely. I want to move on to harmony, but I have so much more to say about rules. <laughs> Me and you being rule followers. (laughs) Yes, being the top rule followers. Can I just say one more thing about rules too before we move on? I feel like one of the big rules that uh, rules are also assumptions and scripts that we are born into. And they're so invisible that sometimes we don't even question them. And I think one big one that I think a lot of the new generation is starting to shift and break are, are assumptions around monogamy, right? A huge rule of, oh, you know, you're going to love one person for the rest of your life and you're only going to have sex with that person for 50 plus years. And I just have to be real with you. I don't think that works for a lot of people. And I think that, or they might not work for you. And I think that being able to even question such fundamental rules and how our relationships are structured and how we inherited that from society and history in a way that it maybe isn't really uh, resonating in our contemporary circumstances. I love that. And I agree with that. Even kind of understanding of our sexual or erotic self, that yes. like what is accepted, what what do we see in media as quote unquote sex? And mm-hmm. if we have a desire, if we have a, a kind of fantasy that's not fo- uh, following it, it's not fitting that specific script, then exactly. that can create so many challenges for people so I think this this one is really like as all of those uh myths are like really important but this one definitely gets in the way of people's showing up at as their sexual self and with their partner yeah absolutely yeah so the myth of harmony is very big this is when we you know if we grew up as good girls or we have good girl conditioning we want to seek harmony and keep the peace in our relationships And the problem with that is conflict and confrontation is often a healthy part of a relationship growing and maturing. And so someone with under the spell of the myth of harmony, the thing that they will avoid the most is having difficult conversations, the uncomfortable, awkward conversation, because maybe they're afraid of how the other person is going to respond. They are afraid of disappointing the other person, hurting their feelings. And so I think in sexuality, this is big because in order for us to have thriving sexual lives, we need to be able to give our partners feedback and find ways to deliver that feedback in a way, in ways that they can hear it. But if we're afraid 
to give honest feedback, then what happens? We swallow what we want or swallow what's not working and we live for that for years. And that's not sustainable. <laughs> so, so I think really breaking the good girl myth of harmony is about reclaiming your voice. So being able to express desire and express boundaries, of course, and also the ability to give feedback and the necessity of that to have a healthy sexual relationship. I think, uh, Maho, that's so important as you mentioned it. You know, I was facilitating a group of sexual health for women earlier today, and we were talking about painful sex. And one of the feedback I got from one of the women, women was like, you know, sex is painful for me, but I just don't know how to bring it up with my partner. So he wouldn't be offended. So like she was telling me that she rather experienced the pain, but not say the partner, this is painful. And I think she's not alone in it. I was looking at the study that was 50% of women are not talking about the pain they're experiencing their intercourse because they don't want to hurt the partner. And I think it's just, and this might not have anything to do with your partner. It could be some condition that you're experiencing, but communicating that is would be essential. Absolutely. And we're not given any tools about you know, from in growing up, we're not given tools when we first have sex and how to talk about sex while we're having sex. And so it's so important that these podcasts, I think a podcast like this exists and your work exists because as adults, people need tools to relearn how to communicate in a sexual context because we never learned. Well, thank you for saying that. And I think the other piece of it, I tell my clients that if you're not getting rejected by your partner around sex and sexuality, perhaps you're not exploring enough enough activities, enough things with, with each other. Because if you're living in a safe zone of knowing what works and continuing doing the same thing, that can get boring and you might not meet your sexual potential. But I think part of having good sexual experiences is to being comfortable with giving feedback and receiving feedback and saying no. So I love that you're highlighting that with our listeners. I feel like I can go hours talking about this with you. Yeah, uh, but, it's big. Uh, mm -hmm. Any other of those, uh, like all of them might be relevant and uh, any other of the one that we haven't talked about that you think would be applying to sexuality? I think perfectionism is another mm -hmm. huge one. They see a lot with, uh, with women. I agree. And even just what you said about staying in the safe zone, staying in the comfort zone. So if you grew up as someone who was told that, you know, you were talented and you're gifted and you're naturally good at everything. You actually like to stay in that zone. <laughs> it feels good to stay in the gifted zone. And so it's hard for you to step out and fail, basically, and experience rejection, which may, in a relational context, I think failure would be experienced as rejection or one big, big piece of it. So I think that we, we stay in our comfort zones when we're under the spell of the myth of perfection, because we would rather be safe and perfect than, you know, risk being imperfect and messy and yet experience the phenomenal growth that we can experience when we step outside those, that comfort zone. So I think that's one huge way. So keeping it safe. And then another way is we are so harsh on ourselves in terms of how, you know, what the bar is for, you know, I was telling my husband this the other day, just to share a personal anecdote, like I am so much more open to us engaging sexually when I feel good about myself, when I feel like I'm not good enough. And when I'm having a relationship with my body that is harsh, and I'm talking to myself in a harsh way, 
I'm not open to having sex with him. <laughs> so it's, there's a direct relationship between how I talk to myself and how I feel about my body and my willingness and openness to have sex with him. And so I think that's really big because when we're under the myth of perfection, we are so hard on ourselves. We really think we're not good enough. We don't feel like we're doing enough. We don't feel like we're beautiful enough. We don't feel like we're you know, thin enough. And like the list goes on because of the society we live in. And so breaking this myth and letting it go and just allowing ourselves to be as we are is how we, I think, are able to embrace that intimacy. Exactly. And Maho, I think with what a great point you brought up with the bringing uh, kind of experiencing something new with our partner, because sometimes people think about, you know, it must look this particular certain way that I've seen in porn, or I've seen in the movies, if we're exploring something new, and if it's not that, we're failing. And I tell my client that like first couple of times, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> you're just looking at the kind of different props and things. And now you're just figuring it out the same way that if you were a kid, you, when you were playing a new game, then you, there will take you a, uh, uh, some time for you to figure out the kind of rules and ways to explore it. Of course, we want to be mindful of our boundaries because mm-hmm. I think something else that at times I notice that women say yes to things that they don't right. want to say yes to, and that's yes. not uh, healthy or useful. But again, if you're neutral about something, I think as you mentioned, it's really important to be comfortable with making mistakes and see what shows up. And what a great point about the self-image piece. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like many times people are in their head, like looking at their body, thinking about their body, and they're not showing up for experience and pleasure when they are sexual with the partner or even with themselves. Mm -hmm. So I think Mm -hmm. that's really important. So if our listeners who are listening about kind of to this conversation and they feel insecure about themselves around sex, what are some of the recommendations you have for them to break this habit of insecurity or kind of like thought pattern of insecurity? I am a huge fan of self-compassion meditation. I think it's been a game changer for me. If, as someone who grew up with a very inner critic, a strong inner critic and self-critical voice, to be able to do a short meditation, 10 minutes long, simple, and, and put my hand on my heart and talk to myself in a soft way instead of a harsh way, and, and then allow my body to relax. You know, even in some self-compassion meditations, there's uh, movements of stroking your own arm or hugging yourself, which... To some people, maybe like there's some judgment that may arise, like that's cheesy or that's silly, but your body doesn't know that your body's, if you hug yourself, your body's going to release some delicious hormones and it's not going to have, your mind is going to judge it, but your body bypasses that and is going to reap the benefits. So I'm a huge fan of self-compassion meditation. I think it's very powerful. And in the book, I have little moments. I have specific meditations for each good girl myth. And you can go online and and get my free meditations at mahomeditation.com and, you know, download them. And one of them is self-compassion. I think I agree with you that self-compassion is really important. We had someone who did research on self-compassion talk about how, as you mentioned, it's a game changer in, when it comes to our sexual health and also relationship with ourselves. And because what happens is that you're reprogramming the internal mm-hmm. voices inside. And as you're doing it, then you you start thinking about things and experience things in a new perspective, which is really important. The other piece I feel is like it's important to to equip yourself with the right information. 
because when it comes to our sexuality, people think that with the information we have, I, I should be able to do things perfectly, right? And we barely get any information about sex that's useful. I, I, I talk about it in my show with my listeners all the time that I did it. I have a PhD in psychology and I had one class on human sexuality undergrad and before getting like doing additional postdoctoral training in this, I didn't learn anything about sex. So all I learned about sex was what I saw in media. And, and that's someone that's specializing in kind of psychology. So how would people know about the skills and tools that they need to improve their sex life? And going back to your point that communicating that with a partner is so important, kind of asking for what you need. I think that's also is essential. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and allowing yourself to experiment and fail, going back to something you had said earlier about when we're kids and we play with these toys and we try things out. You know, there's a term for that in design thinking, which is tinkering. Uh, we tinker and, and we can see that for whatever reason, uh, society, because we live in patriarchy, often boys are encouraged to tinker from a very young age, whereas girls are, you know, th- uh, the focus is more on how their appearance and how they start to act and, and look to the world and less about their agency and their ability to tinker and willingness to tinker. And so I think there's relearning for a lot of women too, in having a more learner growth mindset in this area of life. I agree with you. And this is a part of our kind of dating series. And something that I find kind of cause women, many women at least, and men at times get stuck is that when they stuck in the previous relationship, yes. they left the relationship, they feel like they they kind of ruminate on what, what was wrong. They didn't know it was about them. It was about the partner, both. So how can we make meaning, like understand our past and can move forward with it? Do you have any tip for our listeners around that? Oh, that's a good one. You know, I think I have found journaling to be a really powerful tool for excavation around my, around the past. You know, I had, I think I mentioned this in the chapter on the myth of harmony. I had a pretty toxic relationship in college that left a huge imprint on me. And I had to sort of clean that up in order to have the relationship I have with my husband right now. And I brought in a lot of baggage, poor guy, (laughs) into my current marriage because I had all this stuff from previous relationship. And, you know, through our relationship, I noticed I, it was my responsibility to do the work, the inner work. And that involved uh, journaling around different prompts, you know, excavating sometimes in a safe space, you know, maybe you can do this with a therapist, excavating some, some memories and letting them go and releasing them as needed and sort of starting to make connection and put language around any parts we may feel shame or embarrassment from previous relationships, because a lot of that gets driven, I think, down into the shadow. And we don't, it's in the darkness. And then because it's in that dark place, it grows and 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 it spreads. And when we put language to it, and when we write it down, and even when we speak it to someone that we trust, the power over it diminishes. And this has been shown in research and, you know, because you're a psychologist and you do this work, the power of just externalizing what has happened as a way to process and let it go. I agree with you. And I think understanding your kind of a myth that you're fitting into that, that's, that's also important. So if you're thinking that everything needs to be perfect and then somehow the relationship 
ended in a way that was very messy, which can happen. That's that's life. Then that can impact your kind of schema, and that can be yes. challenging. So I I love that you're talking, inviting people to go in this journey of curiosity, because sometimes yes. when we are going over the same story, which could be part of healing process over and over in our mind, if doesn't have this kind of exploration to it and curiosity to it, it can turn to rumination. And you're yes. not getting good information. You're just reviewing the stories that's not helping your self-confidence. And that can be detrimental to your future relationships, as you mentioned. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, something you said earlier I thought was really interesting was how women say yes. There was, you know, that in your clients when they, when they mean no. Why do you think that's how? I would love to hear your theory about why you think there's that gap there. Well, I think there are a few things. First of all, I feel women are not uh, like they learn that they shouldn't be enthusiastic about sex. Mm-hmm. So they don't know, they, they're not sure about their boundaries at times, not in a way that not being okay for people to violate their boundaries. But I feel like women at times, they, their kind of whole sexuality is clouded by shame. So that could be part of it, that uh, we're not connected with our bodies, that we don't know what yes feels at times and what no's, no mm-hmm. feels at times. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's important. And at times, I know many of my clients are people pleasers. And I, I'm a recovering people pleaser person myself. So you're thinking about this is important for my partner. And this is the price of admission in this relationship. And we're not thinking about the long term implication of going against our desire and our bodies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's what I think. What, what were you thinking? Yeah, I was thinking about the good girl myth of sacrifice, which is what you just described, is putting other people's needs above our own, often at the expense of our own self-care and well-being, and in this case, our own pleasure, you know? And I think that this is, I like to say this good girl myth is the one with the deepest roots, because for millennia, we have been told that, you know, woman has been in the supporting role. So we have been the sidekick, you know, and men have been the protagonist and the main hero on the journey. And so we, our identities are wrapped up in how we are as a sister, as a wife, as a mother, as a daughter, the relational roles. And so, you know, in our desire to want to be of service, which is beautiful, we often, and and wanting to help and please the other, like we just described, we're sacrificing our own needs and it it will catch up to us. You know, I like to say that all the good girl myths have a short-term benefit. They give us a little dopamine hit when we use them. So when we follow the rules, we're rewarded. You know, we are rewarded with a sense of connection and belonging. And when we follow harmony, we get to dodge the difficult conversation. So we get the nice sense of peace. When we follow sacrifice, we get that, we get to please that other person. They, they're they happy and their, their happiness gives us a little dopamine hit. So short-term dopamine hit, long-term, it's not sustainable to continue to do this, to continue to sacrifice our desires, to continue to hold our tongue, to continue to be perfect and follow the rules. It's just not going to work. Eventually it catches up to us. And I'm sure you've seen with your clients, there's always a breaking point. <laughs> you know, There's usually a breakdown or a meltdown where the consciousness and the cannot, cannot, continue on and and their change and what's great is if someone's listening to this and you feel like you're at that point where enough is enough 
good, you know, let yourself go into that feeling because I think on the other side of that is transformation and change. Absolutely. And you know, what I learned being a sex therapist is that you can kind of muscle through many things. You cannot kind of muscle through sex. (laughs) Your body will shut down. So if you learn to sacrifice, perhaps it works short term. But then if you are continuing having the sex life that it's not satisfying for you, you're not communicating your need, then perhaps at some point sex becomes painful or the desire disappears and something happens that you will not be even able to show up for that part. Mm-hmm. And one of the aspects of a great sexual experience is about being selfish. And that yes. builds up the desire. And that can be very hot on sex in a relationship, no matter like whether you're sacrificing yourself or not. So I tell my clients the key for successful sexual experiences is thinking about your need first as well. Yes. And what do we fear the most when we're under the myth of sacrifice is being selfish. That's the, that's the big fear. Women don't want to be seen as selfish. And there's often guilt associated with taking the time for ourselves and asking for what we want. And that guilt, I think, is rooted in that shame that you were talking about, which is historical conditioning passed on from lots of generations. And that's, so that's the good news. It's not, there isn't anything wrong with you. This is just, I like the way you described it, something that's clouding the experience, which means you can unlearn it and you can take the clouds away <laughs> to well, reveal what's underneath. Yes, yes. And I think to your point of kind of like historic part of it, my listeners, they know I'm Iranian. I work mm-hmm. with some Middle Eastern background clients and they share with me that they their grandparents, their mother shared with them that they never experienced orgasm after having couple kids they didn't know orgasm is a thing so I think now we have this freedom of understanding pleasure and it's important to advocate for pleasure I tell my clients that it's a form of kind of like helping future generation when you are prioritizing your pleasure so I know that your book was fantastic (laughs) I loved your (laughs) book and I know in the book you have a specific strategies for for women to work through all of these different myths and identify them so if people are interested to learn about your book I know you have your own podcast what are some of the places they can find you. Sure. So the book is available at goodgirlmyth.com, goodgirlmyth.com. And I'm available on Instagram at Maho, M-A-J-O, Malfino. There aren't that many Mahos out there, so you should be able to find me. <laughs> and really, those are the two places, goodgirlmyth.com and Instagram. Well, again, I appreciated your book. I felt that it had a very good, different perspective because I you read a lot from other therapists, but I love yeah. that your, your approach was very different and very interesting. So I encourage people to check out your book and your account. So I leave a link in the show notes to those places. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Nazanin. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation. And if you have resources, I encourage you to get uh, Maho's book. I love learning her story of how she got to the place that she is. And in her book, she talks about the good girl's myth and how you can break free from those. One of the concepts that I often talk to my clients about is to recognizing the rules that we have for ourselves and where are they coming from? Many of these rules were passed from one generation 
to another generation and they're very outdated and we don't pause to assess to see if these are serving us and or not and they kind of dictate our every move I tell my clients one of the jokes that I have with my clients that we're talking about like their thoughts at radio station and when they get stuck in the doom and gloom phase I'm telling them are, are we back on the doom and gloom station and how we can change the station to a more neutral station? And I know that sometimes we feel powerless around our emotions and our emotion can be very strong, but it's important to pay attention. What are some of these recurrent stories that's showing up for me? And what are some of the stations that my brain goes to directly and working on long-term labeling those rules, those stations, and finding ways to help you to design the life based on the new stations that you're listening to in your mind. Again, Maha's book was great with helping you with recognizing your patterns. I hope you find the book useful. And if you enjoy this show, please share it with your friends, with your partners. I know that's how I learn about different podcasts with hearing from them about my friends. So if you find this show useful, please share it with a friend. And I have so many interesting interviews come up. So make sure you're subscribing to our show. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.